You're listening to the Elephant in the Room property podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent and co-host of Fox Hills Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment and I can tell you that you'll want to listen on to find out what he has to say about commercial property. It's the first time we've really gone into a lot of detail about commercial investing and just how sophisticated, sophisticated investors are. So what happens, that investor gives me a call and I won't tell you the language they're using. <laughs> I'm not going to pay a million and a half bloody government. You're kidding. Mm. I want to buy. We're going to gear it and put a tenant in. I say, we'll line up. Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Boot Camp. And we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started... Everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. In this episode, we pick the brains of Malcolm Gunning, immediate past president of the REIA, that's the Real Estate Institute of Australia, and a former president of the REI New South Wales, Generally speaking, I think Malcolm could be safely called a property expert since he has over 40 years' experience in all facets of real estate agency practice, property development and valuation. He's the principal of Gunning Real Estate, which has been in business for over 25 years, and they focus on commercial, industrial, retail, residential and development real estate, and they provide services in sales, leasing, property management, consultancy and valuation. Now, we haven't spoken much about non-residential real estate before on the podcast, And we're in for a treat today as Malcolm is here to share his wealth of experience with us. And thank you for joining us, Malcolm. It's a pleasure, Veronica. Good to meet you, Malcolm. Yes, good to meet you too. And thanks. Thanks for being here. I mean, yeah, exactly. We haven't really gone there with commercial. And I think, you know, it's probably one of our, our, you know, our blind spots, I guess, on on the podcast. If we had a wagon wheel, we would say that that part of it, we haven't gone there. And I think it's really important because it's when we think about property, we just kind of think residential all the time and there is this huge commercial sector that has impacts on residential that we don't even think about it. Can you just talk through, you know, just all the different types of commercial, not all of them, but, you know, I guess the broad (laughs) view of what type of commercial properties are out there intertwined with their residential. Look, residential and commercial oscillate in different areas. Um, and I think that's the first thing that your listeners should appreciate. You can borrow money for residential property because it's been at a high interest rate and higher deposits forever. Mm. You don't buy a commercial property without you've got not less than about 20 or 25%. And then, and it's also assessed very differently to, to residential. You don't go along with your uh, income and what you're spending. Mm. You're judged on your, um, your cash flow. You're judged on your other assets and that type of thing. It's sophisticated. The banks treat you that way. And so it really sits outside of uh, the residential market. From your listener's point of view, this is business to businesses. If you're in business and small business out there, you'll understand what we're talking about. You're dealing with things like GST. You're dealing with land tax. You're doing a whole range of things which doesn't necessarily um, hit residential. And you're dealing with sophisticated tenants, tenants who are business people, no emotion, black and white mm. um, decision makers. So uh, cut the emotion out straight away and it's all, all business. 
So what you're saying it's a lot more serious, you know. Um, it, it's it's a much easier, it's a more sophisticated market. Mm. It's a much easier market to deal in once you understand the rules. Mm. And okay. So what are the rules? <laughs> well, the rules is first of all understand what you're buying. You've got, um, you know, if you've got a shop here, we are sitting in Waterloo, and someone says, "Look, I really want to put, uh, I want to go and start a little bit of fabrication." Um, I want to go and have, be, go out in the back room and I want to go out and um, create some statues. I'm going to, have, going to do it in bronze and this sort of thing. And you say, no, you can't do that. Oh, well, why can't I do that? Because there's only one allowed. Understand what you can, you can't do in these areas. And you um, and understand all that type of thing. You understand what things like contamination are if you're going to buy an industrial site. Mm. And so because you, you've there's not the same level of disclosure, what you have to do is ask those relevant questions. This is business to business. It's not buyer beware, but if you come in as raw, you've got a fair chance of being stitched. So it's not hard, <laughs> not hard. It's not by the agents, mm. but it's a matter of understanding what you're getting into. Uh, let's talk about a retail shop, which is really the first step most of your listeners would have a look at. That is the most regulated area of commercial property. The Retail Tenancies Act sits over the top. That means, um, and it's a, akin to the Residential Tenancies Act. So the tenants have a lot of rights. Uh, if you're, uh, your listeners uh, look at um, Oxford Street, Paddington or Chapel Street yep. um, down in uh, Paran, Yeah. Okay, or, you know, go into Fitzroy and some of these and look at these vacant shops. You say, well, why are they vacant? Yep. Because one is because of the dynamics of Melbourne and Sydney pulling the tenants. And secondly, over the years, there's been ratcheted rents. Mm. So you've, you've had traditionally those shops have been owned by a lot of our old migrants into the country post-war. And we've had rents have never gone down in these traditional areas. If you bought in Oxford Street, Paddington, rents never went down. Yeah. And then in the old adage, you can't pay the rent, but you really are not the right tenant, get out of here mm. and kick them out. The, the, resid- the, the retail tenancies act says, no, 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 you'll have an open market review and the rent can go up and down. Mm. So when you buy and we see uh, naive investors come in and buy a shop and it's been a new tenant in there for 12 months, had substantial uh, contribution towards fit-out, which are not disclosed. Mm. So they're paying a higher rent, which was reflected in the, in the fit-out. Their rent review comes around in three, uh, three years and they go for an open market review and all that's dismissed. Mm. And the rent drops by 25%. And the poor investor says, why didn't someone tell me? Mm. Yeah. A great case of you don't know what you don't know. Correct. Yeah. And so with the listener's point of view, how do I learn? I research and I understand and ask plenty of questions. And the problem with that, though, is you don't know what the questions to ask. Yeah. And so therefore you don't get the answers you need because you, you couldn't even possibly, I mean, most people don't realise that the tenant actually is responsible for the fit out. And then when they walk out the door, they strip it. Mm. So you get a carcass. Mm. So yeah, if you bought it and it's, and it's got a lease and you haven't 
even thought to ask the question. I heard recently of somebody who bought a, um, it was like a, a warehouse unit with a mezzanine and because the tenants had put the staircase in, they took the staircase. Mm. And so then the, <laughs> you know, the landlord's looking at the, the, the unit, it's got the mezzanine still there, but there's no staircase. And it's mm. like, I paid for that. Well, no, you didn't. Correct. Uh, yeah, so it's fraught with danger. So, yeah, when you say research, 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 I guess how can you find out what you don't know that you should be asking about? The first most important thing, you need a lawyer who is a commercial lawyer. Forget about a conveyancer. Right, yeah. That's just conveyance are very good, but you're dealing with leases, okay? Mm. And leases are very prescriptive documents. So you need a good lawyer. And secondly, you then need a good real estate agent. You need a good commercial real estate agent. I suppose to bring it, to understand the difference between residential and commercial, a business like ours, most of our business comes out of, we've got nearly 70% repeat business. We've got clients that we do business now, we have done business, I've done business with for 40 years. Mm. And so I'm dealing with second generation. So, we, so you've got a trusted advisor so in each case, and then you, you may well have a surveyor or um, you need, not necessarily an engineer, but you need a builder or that yeah. type mm. of thing to be able to talk to, to have a look. So you need good professional advice yep. to come in. And when the advice is given to you, that you understand what that advice means. Mm. And it's unless you don't go in um, thinking you're going to learn on the job, that's not going to take place. It's interesting you say this because it's, you know, I'm seeing it pop up online a bit at the moment where, uh, you know, people are going, well, you know, capital growth's maybe not there, you know, markets are boomed, you know, credit growth's not there. So, you know, I want to go and invest and get high yields. And I'm starting to see, you know, different buyers agents pop up and all of a sudden they're buying commercial properties for, you know, mum and dad investors and usually buying these in areas that are, you know, what kind of rural areas and, you know, not right in the, the premium spots of capital cities. and you know, what you're saying here is that there's all these kind of different things that you need to know around leases and lawyers. And I can't imagine that these type of purchases are going through the same due diligence to, you know, to make sure that, you know, the, the person buying them is actually informed. Very true. When you talk about different classes, and we'll get to that, I think from your listener's point of view, if you wish to get into commercial real estate, buy a box, buy a commercial, uh, an office box, which is a strata, or mm. buy a factory unit. Mm. So really, and understand that your capital growth comes out of the growth um, in rent. Yep. For example, we've only seen um, industrial rents grow in the last two years. Mm. Otherwise, the last seven years since the GFC, if they went backwards, has been stagnant. So that's so your, your growth in value comes from, um, one, the return, as interest rates became lower, yields became lower, and as it increases, well, obviously um, the, the return um, expected goes up. Yep. But the, what's driven a lot of these boxes, um, as business boxes as like mm. we call them, is the self-funded uh, yep. business, yeah. oh, sorry, the re superannuation. So you, yeah. here we are sitting in, um, in, a, in a commercial building. You may choose to go and buy out of your super um, and put uh, a factory unit and then put your business in it and you then pay yourself rent. Completely legal. Mm. A lot of accountants have been recommending this. Correct. A lot, yeah. They, they do, Veronica, mm. but then the most important thing is what's the current value? Mm. What's the rate? This is black and white rate per square metre yeah. and what's included? What am I buying? Mm. 
So when you say rate per square meter, I mean, it's, do you calculate the value of a commercial property based on that or do you calculate it based on the actual anticipated market yield? And if that goes up and down and fluctuates, I mean, how do you, I mean, because it's very different in terms of um, working out what a residential property is worth. Well, there's, there's three methods, and I'll put my valuers hat mm. on. There's three methods to value commercial property. First and foremost, if it's land, you look at the land price. Yep. Take the building away. So what's this vacant block of land? And you compare on a, on a unit rate, that is, per square metre, dollar per square metre rate yep. of land. Then you, then you look at the building, you put a depreciated value on the building. Mm-hmm. And that might be an old building, so it's only really got 25 or 30% of its life left yep. and I have to reinvest. And then you look at the rent mm-hmm. and you say, what's the current market rent on a rate per square metre? Okay, so if you're in a, um, a 500 square metre building, is that all being used? Is there other opportunity? What rate are they paying? Um, how does that compare with the market? Comparing to the market's a key point though, right? Mm. Because but, the person who signed the lease might have signed it eight years ago and yeah. the market might have moved down 40% since then. All the information's available, yeah. but it's a matter of, that's a matter of being able to disseminate that. That's primarily why entry level into commercial real estate is a proper economics degree. Mm. So mm. we, uh, most of our, um, in fact, all of our people and our staff have got tertiary education. They sit down and analyse the property and they say, say to the owner or to the tenant, this is what the property's worth on these three criteria." And I'll say, well, I'm not interested in that. I'm, I, I just want what I want. Well, maybe you're talking to the wrong agent. And I guess when you're getting a higher return, it's, the, it's not a free return. You don't, there's something attached to the reason why you're getting that. And it's because of these unknown risks could happen that are more likely to happen to that property. You know, you're going to have problems with vacancy, more likely in commercial than, a, you know, a premium kind of residential house. You know, you could have problems with the market, you know, an economic situation affects you know, commercial property a lot more than, you know, premium suburbs of cities where people still need to live in the houses and still need to rent. So, you know, I think other people don't really understand what are the risks, you know, and what, what are some of the risks that well, you see with commercial I, I, over, say, residential? A retail, let's talk about retail um, because most of us all shop and understand. So uh, having a supermarket open up close to you, uh, in Sydney um, with say Oxford Street, the fashion strip, yeah. which many of your listeners, if they're older, well, their daughters would have marched yeah. the Oxford Strip. Why did that fail? Mm. It's so interesting case study, so isn't it? It is. And why, did, why has uh, Chapel Street failed? Yeah. Why? Yeah. yeah. Is it because you've got, you've got now um, a really concentration of all the fashion labels in the CBD and you can either walk a windy street and go to individual shops um, where there was little food uh, over the years, or you can go into somewhere like Bondi Junction, yeah. uh, Doncaster, uh, Melbourne CBD, or Sydney CBD, shop in air conditioning, yeah. walk around, and you, and with shopping these days, particularly for the girls, it's sport. Okay? <laughs> it is. It so is, you're keeping up to date with the fashion trends? Uh, yeah, I do. I do live in Paddington. Uh, so, but a sport. Mm. And so. Active wear. Active wear. So, <laughs> it, but, so people want to go out and they want to have a day out shopping or a morning. Recreation. 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 Yeah. I reckon the Amazon effect has a huge part to play here as well, right? You know, because we didn't expect online shopping to be growing as fast as it is and it is and it's going to keep on growing and 
you know, the less need for a retail front or a smaller one anyway. Mm. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Except why is Pitt Street Mall and Melbourne CBD booming? Well, I guess a lot of city workers, a lot of investment in terms of, you know, apartments getting built, a lot more people there. Not on Saturdays. No? No. Mm. Again, is it the experience? Correct. Mm. If you go to Doncaster. Yeah. Down in Melbourne, have a look. Yeah. Okay, what's going on down there? And if you have a look, um, if you go to Brisbane, there's a place called James Street area, mm. which is a which has got all the good fashion um, houses down there. So you're able to have a look online, and if you if it's a special occasion, you'll go and look at what's available. Mm. So if you're going down, if you're going down to buy a nice stereo system, you know, a Bang and Olufsen or a Bose. You might say, I'm going to have a look. While I'm down there, I'm going to be able to do a bit of shopping. I'm going to have a coffee and I might catch up with someone. And so it becomes that sort of event. Mm. And so there's only, when, where all the other strips have um, now changed because of Amazon into more service industry. So if you look at Chapel, you look at Oxford Street, you've got more service providers and up there. And it's funny that I was wondering... I was going to ask you about what's the metamorphosis now. So who is taking over? They're not shops anymore. I've noticed a couple of little small service businesses. So, you, you know, you're small entrepreneurs and, and, you know, who are ready to actually take up some space. And so are the rents dropping? Yeah. Do they pay less rent than, than it was worth as a shop front? Uh, yeah. So for, if you want, between, the difference between now and, say, four years ago, 30%. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And if it's commercial property, which is what you you alluded to before, is commercial property is priced based on rent, really, isn't it? That's one of the criteria. Yeah. And so if your rent is, you know, if someone's looking to buy it in their self-managed super fund, then they're thinking thinking yield. How much income am I going to get? And if that rent is 30% under, they go shopping elsewhere, don't they? They do Mm. because they don't quite understand. Also, too, um, say Oxford Street, Paddington, but the land values haven't dropped. The reason the land values haven't dropped is because the zoning allows a mixture of, of retail and residential. Right. So all of a sudden, um, if you're going to buy, a, it's a very good time to buy a shop at Padding, in Paddington, particularly if it has rear access. Because mm. then you can develop the back of it as a correct. residential spot. And yeah. also, mm. too, even though we've got the buses that are flying down the street, which cause some havoc, <laughs> you can then soundproof that and you enter from the back and you lease the shop. Mm. So the shops, if you look at what's going in there, you're more likely to get um, beauty, health, uh, then medical services. You, then you're going to look at, um, you're going to get particular specialist areas. Mm. Uh, destination. Um, men's stores um, tend to do well in those strips because men, when they shop. They don't like shopping centres. They don't like shopping centres, 100%, because you can't find your car. I can't. Fantastic. <laughs> I love it. And, <laughs> and, but if I was talking to one of the, uh, the proprietor, MJ, MJ Bale, at, uh, who's got a shop in Wallara, and I said, so why are you still in Wallara and Queen Street Wallara is failing? He said, so we only get on a weekday maybe three or four customers. But he said, our average spend is over $1,000. Because, of course, because blokes like to just go in and just one-stop shop. I want to get everything I need or I don't want to come back into a shop for another 12 months. Correct. I'll buy, <laughs> yeah. one, suit, I'll buy one suit with yeah. probably a second pair of trousers and, and 10 shirts or five shirts. <laughs> That's done. And then I don't have to go for 12 months. That's a good – so if you understand the dynamics <laughs> as an investor, that's uh, a business that will be sustainable. 
because you don't men don't like buying online because of our various shapes, mm. you know, thick necks, bloody mm. mm. slim fits, and you know all those sorts of things. And uh, you want to be able to park your car at the front, get in, and get out as quick as you can. I mean, it's a really interesting point though, because I think you touched on it there, where commercial, you've got to have a bit of an imagination on what the potential is, and I think you know that's where the best commercial, you know, investors come at things. They look not what am I buying today, but what could this become? And, you know, is that really what the sophisticated, you know, commercial investors do? He, I agree. And I think a case in point is where we're sitting doing this interview. He, this is Waterloo. Yeah. Uh, you've got, a, a, you've got a, a metro station just down the road. That will have a profound effect on this area. Mm. So, but no one really, I think everyone underrates it. They don't. But they don't. The sophisticated investors are already here. Mm. They're already um, buying real estate around here. Wind back, look at Surrey Hills or look at Richmond in Victoria or look at again in that um, Fortitude Valley in mm. Brisbane and say, what's going, look at the dynamics of those places. You can't get in and get a, make a killing when it's already there. No. Because the smart people are already in there. So you've got to weigh up and say, if there's new infrastructure going in, railway stations are, are really drive yep. uh, businesses because people park their cars, get off their scooters, get on. The light rail is going to have a profound effect on everything from Kingsford, Kensington, Surrey Hills, all those areas are going to have a profound effect. Mm. And I, I agree because at the moment we're in this kind of, Oh, it's all these construction, everything's, you know, no, and no one can foresee where things will be. But you know, the new the new metro lines, well, it's kind of done its first run this week, hasn't it? And mm. you know, the north northern sector, you know, and years will tick by, and you know, all of a sudden it'll be two thousand and twenty four, and this train station will be here, and that's mm. that's going to. I agree, it's it's completely going to change the dynamic. Well, the, the light rail. If you look at George Street, Sydney. That's now where most of your major um, brands are. So with the Louis Vuittons and and, and all those, they're all there. And the buildings that are um, in those areas are still selling very, very well. Mm. But the retail might be failing a little bit, but the investors are in there. And this is the sophisticated investors. They've got enough money to be able to buy a property, which may not necessarily be showing a good income because the the real value is in the land. The land of the building, the moment the infrastructure comes in, yep. the rents uh, the rents are driven by foot traffic mm. and by uh, the neighbouring uh, the neighbouring retailers. Yeah. And so you that, it's not so much a leap of uh, leap of faith; it is understanding the dynamics of what's happening. So good advice: you've got to have town planners involved, yep. understand, and it's all online. It's all available to be able to read. And it comes down to that sh- the short-term view versus a long-term view. So the short-term view might be going, oh, I'm not, you know, it's all retail's dying. I wouldn't go near there with a barge pole um, because that's what's happening right now because of all the construction, et cetera, et cetera. But the long-term view is very much looking at, you know, the longer horizon, mm. Who else is investing in here? What is it going to be? What is it going to be like once it's all finished? Mm. And I was also, I, I'm always careful uh, about people who talk about infrastructures being the only reason you invest in property, whether it be residential or commercial, um, because it's got to go. It's got to be hand in hand with all the other things. You know, like for instance, here in Waterloo, it's hand in hand with the fact that you're really close to the CBD. You know, you're really close to some established residential areas that already. Have a, they're crying out for some lifestyle and all that sort of stuff. When you bring in some more, you know, apartment 
um, developments around here, which is going to be um, benefiting from all the transport that's going in. And you bring that in, then you've got more people to actually sustain smaller, you know, businesses around the area and cafes and restaurants and bars and all that sort of stuff. Then that just brings the buzz up. And so therefore it becomes more attractive for everyone. And so it's all of that. So when it's all together like that, it's magic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not just a train station. There's CBA mm. as an example, having ten thousand jobs. Yeah, There's, yeah. You know the arty kind of you know type of mm. businesses. They're like, we don't really want to be in the city where it's all corporate and yeah. you know glass mm. towers. We want to be just outside and you know in a funky warehouse. And so those warehouses are getting renovated. And you know there's got to be a combination of factors, not just a train station, because it you know you need it an economic activity to really kick it off. I think the best example in in Sydney. Is Chippendale. Mm. Yes. So I was thinking that actually when I was saying that. Absolutely. The, 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 the profound effect mm. that um, the new Foster's development had down there. Yeah. And again, uh, what they did was invest in the arts. Mm. You know, with a lot of the back of that, that's full of the creative yes. areas, including mm. your architects and designers and that mm. sort of thing. And so that has really kicked it along. So you spoke about Waterloo. The CBA effect will be substantial mm. right, because the millennials who are really are the are the, the the people who want to be they're, they're looking for these days. Um, they don't want to travel long distances, so they're going to migrate more towards yep. these areas and live in probably tighter accommodation, yep. so they can walk to work or. or um, or, or ride a bike, okay? But the thing is that we, we say millennials, you know, as if this is really unique. And maybe I was ahead of my time. But, you know, when I bought my first property, I was 26, 27. It was only 36 square metres. And I get that you can't do that now because the banks won't let you. But it was in Newtown. And and I always used to say before I bought it, I'd rather live in a shoebox and live out in the burbs. And, you know, maybe I was slightly ahead of my time in the sense I came from the burbs and I and I always had a bit of a visceral reaction against it. But but that's no different. I didn't have kids. You know, I had a had a, a growing career. I had a life. So I have friends in the area. We used to go out. You know what I mean? Like all of those things together, that's they're just doing the same things that we all did when we were younger. You know, it's common sense, mm. really. It's just that the, as population grows, there's more pressure because there's more people mm. in that demographic. But I think what's going to happen is now the before when you potentially get married and you have kids, then you would have moved out. And But now I think that those families are saying, well, we, where are we going to move to? You know, where's the option for a family to, to move oh, to? It's what, 60 kilometres. Mm. Well, I don't want that. So there's no real option. And so then they're saying, well, I can't have that option. I don't really want that option. I don't want to go an hour south or an hour north. So what I will do is we'll make it work and we'll live in 120 square metres, you know. And like they're, um, you know, the the mentality will shift. And I think, you know, that'll change the way that we eat, the way that we travel to work, you know. there's And that changes the whole demographic of who lives in the Mm. inner rings um, of the city, I guess. Back to commercial. So Uh, did one thing. You know know what we're talking about? You know what's cool, don't you? And I I heard it, the phrase, when I was in Vietnam, three months ago, and I was, there was a, a panel discussion about this exact issue, and they call it the Manhattan Effect. Mm. And yeah. so Sydney and Melbourne, I think Sydney's ranked sixth most desirable city in the world to have a business, operate business. Um, this is big business, and Melbourne's eight. Mm. So it's the same as Paris and the same as London, the same as New York yep. and these places, Tokyo. 
So uh, people will uh, will live in less to be closer because you can live your life outside of yeah. your um mm. outside of it. Especially it's, in a place like Sydney, how beautiful from a lifestyle point of view. And a climate. Actually, yeah, and you've yeah. got your parks, you've got your ability, yeah, and your pollution and things like that. <laughs> of course, and a congestion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why you got to live close to him because the traffic is a nightmare. Yeah, it yeah. is. Oh, dear. And so, okay, so... You, you've got two offices. You've got one in Surrey Hills and you've also got one in Hurstville and they're very different demographics, very, aren't they? Very, different. Mostly mainland Chinese. And one thing, your listeners, i tell you one thing that really got upset uh, when I picked I used to do a lot of the press with the Institute, um, about the, the xenophobic mm. um, attitude out there. And we do, we've been dealing with, with the Chinese, mainland Chinese and Hong Kanese, AK, for 25, 30 years. The Chinese invest in Australia for all the same reasons that we live here. Mm. And they want to educate their kids and the whole lot. And their culture, they've come out of a very hard culture. And um, most of us Aussies have been here for a long time. Find that confronting because they're hard. They want to negotiate hard. So they've come out of low wages and they've had to scratch and fight and argue in a pretty, pretty tough country. It's, as, as, the, as the migrants did after the war, the Yugoslavs, the Greeks, the Italians mm. and the Jews that came here all work very hard. And that's where all, a lot of the family wealth is held. So what you get is this pooling effect. So where you get families that buy together. And, the, um, and uh, so when you deal with the Chinese, you've got to play the game. Mm. And uh, the Chinese get a bit upset with us. They know we're, very, they know we're the agent of choice out there. Because we're we're fair, we're, we're, there's no hanky panky going on mm. behind the scenes, and that happens in that culture. Yeah, we're black and white, mm. <laughs> and so if someone wants to go and buy a property and it's private treaty, we mark the price up mm. to okay? allow for the haggling. Yeah, for the haggling, yeah. and if they don't do it, if we say the last thing you do when you're dealing with um, a Chinese is giving you bottom price. So listen right. here, this is what the bottom price is. That's where they start. Mm. You have to play that game with them. But what the, when you're dealing with the Chinese, the Chinese love land, absolutely love to buy something freehold land. So they'll buy a shop, put their business in, have all their family work in there. If they've, if, if they've, if they've got a little food shop, no different to the Italians. I'll have the mm. kids out the back doing their homework and they'll work it around. So this is no different to post-war immigration Remember, the Italians were in the fruit shops, okay? Yeah, yeah. The Greeks were in the cafes. Mm. So what is the Italians, um, those second-generation Italians doing now? They're the builders. Yeah. Okay? What are, the, uh, what are the Greeks, okay? A lot of the Greeks are the lawyers and the accountants, if you look around the place. And <laughs> then you've got, with the Jews, the, West, the Westfield um, scenario from uh, Delicatessen in Blacktown to running shopping centres. So what we're seeing now is the Chinese coming into Australia, pooling, working as a family, building their assets yep. all the way through. I, I really think if we didn't have the Chinese in Australia, we, our retail precinct would be in deep trouble. Interesting. We, we interviewed uh, Cameron McQueen um, in episode 51. He's, um, he's a development manager for a, a development company in Melbourne who specialise in actually finding or putting together developments for Chinese to invest in. And a big part of it is a ticket to basically for, for yes. um, residency. 
But it was a really interesting conversation around what motivates them and why they're doing that. And um, and I think, you know, they the Chinese are important for our economic future. And as Australians, we need to sort of learn more about it so that we can stop this fear thing, you know, and, and make an opinion, sorry, make an educated opinion or have mm. an educated opinion rather than this pure, oh, they're taking over, you know. I, th- I just yeah. think we need to understand better what's going on. Uh, that really gets into another discussion um, to a certain extent. I got in an awful lot of trouble about um, four or five months ago, I did an ABC um, TV show, and I was asked, and I, we were actually filming in Potts Point, now talking about affordability, and a question from the interviewer said, so what advice do you have about the young buyers uh, out there he wanted to come and live in a place like that. And I looked down, gave it gave that steel blue look down the lens and said, you need an awfully good job or you might need two. Mm. And that was, the, that was the smashed avocado event right. of 2018. It was talkback radio all over Australia. And that you need the, two jobs to be able to afford a house in, in Australia. I mean, I can just... No, in, in, no, in, in Potts point. point, yeah, but I can hear it. Yes. Okay, so what happened mm. there? So then you had that outcry. So that and but the older population said, well, talking the truth. And well, this it's is, just this the is, truth, yeah. That's the thing. I mean, it's like, what so point? it's not politically correct. We don't like hearing it, but it doesn't make it any less true, you well, know. That's the Chinese effect too. They're buying all the property and they're paying too much money. Where they pay a lot of money was all around, uh, all around South Sydney, in particular around the railway stations. Yeah. Well... Here we are talking about the same thing again. Mm. Um, where am I going to invest? And also, too, they were the primary purchasers of retail uh, in most of the most of the capital cities. They are because that's the entry level. That's the mm. first level into. Um, mm. In they understand everyone understands retail, so they are really made up up to about twenty five to thirty percent of the buyers. Um, in um, in retail investments. And when you say retail, what's the scope Shop. of retail? Yeah, Shop. but does that go right up to a Woolies? You know, like a big department store? Oh, or a big a department store gets into property trusts, okay? Right, right. So I'm talking about the mum and dad investors. Yes. So if one of your listeners might go out and they're looking to uh, go and bid on a, a shop, shop, a cab bottle shop yeah. or something like that, and you're being outbid by um, a group of Chinese. Mm. So this is not fair. They've got more money than us. But they've already done their research. They understand retail better than most, and they uh, they get out there and and they buy in areas. Also, the the Chinese will buy in Chinese areas. Yeah, I was about to ask you yeah. about that. Yeah, and I it's, think the whole pooling effect is it's not something we've really spoke about on this podcast, but it is actually something that I think is going to keep on growing. You know, I do think even, and it's not, I've, I've seen, I've had clients come to me and they're saying, we're pulling our wealth as a family, you know, mum and dad and me and, you know, our grandkids and we're all putting it together. And, you know, parents are basically leveraging off kids' borrowing capacity, right? Kids have got the good job. Mm. Kids are earning, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars a year. Mm. Um, Parents haven't got income. They've got equity. Let's funnel it through the kids. Let's get everyone on board. Let's rent off each other, um, you know, and this kind of mentality of let's do it together um, potentially can get you a you know much better result. And I imagine in commercial, you get that even more so because they don't have to live there. But well, the, but family yeah. purchases. What you're mm. saying is correct. You've you've got business families. Yeah. Um, they might be plumbers or builders mm. or fabricators or all this sort of thing. They're buying their premises one to work in, and secondly, 
um, for the uh, for the wealth effect, mm. you know, the value effect, and they pool. Yeah, and and also to in business, it is very much about the business and the businesses. Um, most of small business in Australia is family orientated, mm. and so they're the ones, and that's where we've all done pretty well in business over the over, you know since the GFC. Um, you don't make a huge amount of money, a bit like a farmer. Mm. Farmers are the epitome of small business. Probably too, and I can talk to my farmer too. That's mm. my other life. Uh, but they pool their money. The only time they ever got a whole lot of cash is when they sell out. Yeah. So the land value, they sell the farm. So, yeah. Correct. Yeah. So every, so in business, you reinvest. So that's why you might see um, a factory. Yep. Come up for sale, and you say, "Why has someone paid so much money for it?" Because the family would use it for another part of their business that has another value. Mm. I spoke of the yield. McDonald's is, effect. Correct. The yield is only one of the reasons you buy property. Yeah, yeah. And so, don't focus on that. You focus on the ability, the capital growth of it. The zoning is so important. What can I do with the property? Mm. Yeah. And make sure because you have no, uh, you can't really. Um, change use you you can't have existing well, you use for a change, yeah, but you? you can't have existing mm. use rights anymore. Really? It, no. When did that change? Oh, five years ago. Okay. Mm. So yeah. if you have a corner shop, mm. the corner shop is owned residential. Mm. The corner shop becomes vacant, and you want to go back and oh now I want to go and put a financial planner in there. Mm. You got to go and lodge a DA. Yeah. There's every chance you get knocked back. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got well, to. That's under- one of the risks. It isn't is. It? Yeah. Yeah. But also the residential zoning is more valuable than a, than a sort of a commercial zoning, right? Correct. So that's one of the risks in taking on that. Mm. Um, mm. And then, of course, you know, if you've got a residential zone property on a main road that might work quite well as a commercial premises, doesn't actually work that mm. well as Correct. a yeah, – and this exactly. is a bit of a problem with this zoning thing, isn't it? It is. Look, from your listener's point of view, um, I came back. I was doing a job out at Marylands the other day. And I came back along Parramatta Road – you, you can see what's going to happen. Para, most of the traffic will be taken off Parramatta Road. So you want to go and buy one of those grubby shops along Parramatta, Parramatta Road. And just sit on it. And sit on it. So what, and you say, well, why would I buy that? Why would I buy a grubby shop on Parramatta One is probably on about 250 square metres of land. The second is probably got a lane at the back. And you've got a railway station, in most cases, within a kilometre. Now, if you get along anywhere along there, camper down at some of those, you can walk to all those places, Leichhardt. So and then take, what you're really waiting for is a number of a developer to come up to you and all your neighbours and go, right, well, I'm going to pay you so much more than it's really worth to knock that, the whole that, thing yeah, down and build correct, an eight-story Veronica, apartment building. That's one. But yeah. secondly, what will happen is the moment you take traffic off, I'll get um, curbside mm. parking again, in comes the business yeah, and up goes the rent. And people might live upstairs. Mm. And that type of thing. So you go and look and say, well, what is going to change to be yeah. able to drive um, drive those prices? And if you want to go and buy something that's nice and shiny, I can walk in and get that yield straight away. You must make sure that you're paying current market rent. There's not a, a rent that's reflective of uh, contributions by the owners. Yeah, yeah. And that type of thing. And it's, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in that. Isn't there in commercial? Is it? It is. Understand <laughs> if 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 you're in the city, and I've got a couple of good friends that have um, that are lawyers, and oh, I suppose I've got to be careful. I say in some cases, but if you go down to Barangaroo, mm. where you've got 
some of the biggest companies in Australia and in the world are paying um, some of the highest rents in the world, you say, how in the hell do they afford it? Because what happens is yep. there might be an eight-year lease. The fit out, they may have, have been paying no rent for the first mm. 18 months. Yep. Yep. Secondly, they may have had a lot of fit out done. So the headline rent is what's reported to the share market. What's behind it is called incentive deed, mm. which is not registered. Yep. So... That doesn't come to light unless you start to dig it down. Dig down. Now it's all. Yeah, so what t- you're saying is like a KPMG isn't paying two thousand dollars a square meter, which everyone effectively thinks, not paying that. No, no they're mm-hmm. really only paying if you cut out the incentives, which is the you know ten million dollar fit out and the two years of free rents and the mm. ex you know no um you know you know utilities and you know, free upgrades of water and all these things, then really they're paying $2,000 or they're paying $1,200. And, Correct. you know, the market doesn't really know that, do, do they? Well, the the, the, the uh, commercial market does. Hmm. Yes. So they're the dealing then with the big sharks, okay? That's a whole different area. But still in all, if you're going to buy, you're talking about properties which are $5 million, you might want to go and buy an, an office works. Officeworks is owned by Coles, the most ruthless tenants mm. in Australia, okay? <laughs> uh, they own Coles, they own Myers, they own Officeworks, a string of others. And they, um, they are tough roosters to do business with. And you get, we get uh, investors come along and they're getting their rent paid every month. They don't have an agent handling it. Next thing, it comes up to a rent review and they're hit with the full armoury of... Um, Coles, uh, property managers and legal brigade. They come up and say, help, Mm. what am I going to do here? Go negotiate with Bunnings. Yeah, correct. (laughs) You know, they're not going to negotiate, are they? So from your listeners out there, if you're going to get in that area, you assemble around you really good advice. Yeah. And back back to your, your comment earlier about getting a commercial lawyer I would imagine a commercial lawyer can dig into that lease and, and bring up those those anomalies very, very quickly. Um, and this is the thing too. In residential, you know, one of the things that is a common theme throughout this podcast is that people come on and they talk about how easy it is to get access to information. And in residential, it's a lot more transparent. You still need to know how to interpret it and you need to know where to go. And you need to know how to, how, to, how to look and what to look for and how to understand it. But with commercial, I know myself... We've never bought commercial for an investor in my business. Mm. We've only bought commercial for owner-occupiers. So, therefore, the evaluation process is very different and we're not buying with tenants in place. So I know what we, the due diligence we need to go through. But if you're buying as an investor, that's a whole and, – and, and I know how difficult it is to get the information even when we're buying for an owner-occupier, you know, digging and digging and digging and questioning and interpreting and all that sort of stuff. And I know because we compare it against what we can get with residential and I look at that and go, that's not complete. So we then have to dig further, right? But we do this for a living. Mm. So the average investor would – I think, first of all, be very surprised that that is the case. I mean, a classic example, I guess, of the government's treatment of investors in commercial property versus residential is that in New South Wales, you have to register to bid at a residential property auction. You don't have to register to bid at a commercial property auction. Correct. And why is that, Malcolm? Because you're sophisticated. Mm. The Um, assumption is that you're sophisticated. Correct. And most cases there is. Because Mm. when you ask fair trading... Why that's the case? They said 
we've only really had two complaints about commercial um, transactions in 10 years. Yeah, there you go. Because if you've got a problem, you go straight to the local court. Mm. Okay, it's business to business. So, uh, which is, that's why it flies under the radar. And also, too, what's ve- which, is, which is really not reasonable, you're able to negatively gear um, commercial property. You're able to write everything off. You've got a company owning an asset. You getting all those advantages along the way. Mm. You've got other taxes. You get land tax comes into play and GST and all those sorts of things. But this is business sits outside of residential. The moment you can trans, transition from residential, which is pretty black and white and is the easiest to transact, and probably got the most um, by demand mm. to uh, to commercial. The moment you get into commercial real estate. It's business and all the, the tax benefits um, and the taxation tax is all sits price. around it. So that's why you've got um, – and our biggest problem at the moment is stock. Yeah. Because we've seen good growth in commercial values, we get uh, – a family will come in and say, look, um, mm. my, we're retiring. Um, uh, we're not sure we want to put a tenant into our factory, which is probably 2,000 square metres of land, I think 1,500 square metres of factory, or uh, we might sell it. And I said, have you been to see your accountant? And I said, oh, why would I go and see my accountant? All I wanted is have an idea. I said, I'll give you a figure of what it's worth to sell. You go and talk to your accountant about um, capital gains tax. Yeah, the implications. <laughs> anyway, so... Well, there's you know, massive incentives for them to keep it a certain period of time, like 15 years and... You know, there are huge things that you know, if you do own commercial, if you're business and your turnover is under certain limits, then you can sell it CGT free. And You, you can, know, but yeah. this, is, this is the sharp edge of the wedge mm-hmm. with what the, the, the government in waiting, okay, the Labor government's looking at. By taking your uh, negative gearing um, uh, threshold away from 50% to 25% is huge. Mm. So what that will do is it'll stop turnover in commercial property. So what happens, that investor gives me a call and I won't tell you the language they're using. <laughs> I'm not going to pay a mm. million and a half bloody government. You're kidding. Mm. I want to buy. We're going to gear it and put a tenant in. I say, well, line up. Mm. Okay. So these people who are going to buy, um, they're, 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 so when, that's when they buy on low yields. You might go along to an auction mm. and you might see a little group of shops or a little small shopping centre still on 3% net yield. And you think, how the hell are they affording that? Because it's geared against the property, which is probably a return of 15 or 16%. Mm. Right. By bringing that in to their portfolio, it balances the portfolio up. They've got capital growth on the other side mm. and they've got tax advantages. Yeah, it's funny you say that though, because it's not. I'm not going to lose 25 percent of my money or seven percent of my net return. I'm going to pay a million dollars of tax. I'm not going to give that to the government. And so they're thinking, well, if I have to buy something else, I'm going to pay more tax. And it's just this. It's this fear of paying tax and this avoidance of. The, and that's the mentality you're playing in, well, right? And that's going to create people to turn over less because they won't have to pay as much tax. So they're motivated to pay less tax. So you know, it, it's funny how these. You know, you change tax policy and you change human behaviour and people will, will sell less, you know. Well, that's the, that's the that's a conundrum that um, government has. We know that uh, stamp duty is an impediment uh, for the sale of property. The government will say if we knocked off stamp duty, price would go up. 
So, you know, it's an open market. But it, what really the fairest way for tax is land tax, broad-based land tax. See, I hate that. I know oh, that. I but hate land tax. So what happens then is, uh, when, uh, again... It will make you sell, though. But the, <laughs> now what it does, so what it does do, what it does do, Veronica, it doesn't stop the transaction of property. Mm. Okay? You pay on the value of the land... And it could be residential too. And that's just in other parts of the world. I don't advocate to it, okay, because we get that tax-free negative gearing residential, but you certainly pay it in um, commercial. Well, you, get, you pay it in residential too. I you, get a you, big bill every year. It's not yeah, very pleasant so do at I. all. Yeah, yeah. It's a good bill to pay though. Yeah. No, no, no land it's tax not is good, not a good, a good bill. Because it's not off your income. You know, so, you know, like it's if you pay capital gains tax, well, I made the money and therefore, you know, yeah, I'm only paying because I made money, mm. right? Whereas land tax, you're paying even if your values are falling. I, I, I tell you, we're getting off the subject a yeah. little bit here, but <laughs> I, 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 we're selling a property at the moment and uh, we've got land tax and we pay by instalment. So because you get your land tax bill in mm. January, you look at it and you fall off your chair and yeah. say, hang on here, I've got my cash flow, I've got to pay this. Um, and then you might go on a, on a payment plan. So we set, we're settling a property in uh, next Friday. We've got our land tax, uh, tax assessment and uh, they want all our land tax paid up. All the land tax paid up, otherwise they'll, they'll stand in front of the... For that particular property? No, for... Everything? Any, yeah. Oh. Because they're saying, look... Uh, then you can come back and talk to us. Of course, you haven't entered into a payment plan. The settlements come. We can enter it. No, no. You pay, okay, and then argue with us. So what they've done is, if we were to, so, so you've got land tax now dictating when you're selling commercial property, where you, the time you settle is important. So it's not on exchange. No, that you pay your land tax at settlement. Mm. So land tax is assessed at the 1st of January. Yeah. You're selling a property, they want their cut. And it's not just on that property, it's any other land tax you might owe. Right, right. So we all might be arguing along the way. You're always arguing with the tax office, okay? Mm. But well, this wrong. is not the tax office. This is a state they, government. They're, they're yeah, thing. yeah. There's all taxes. Mm. Okay, so you've got, in this, in this state, you've got your, uh, you know, you've got Office your payroll tax. Oh, yeah. You've got your land tax. You've got all these sorts of things. What they're doing is they're all talking to each other. Mm. And so you've got Big Brother saying, you're making a lot of money out of this. We think we'll have our bit now, thanks. You've been cash managed. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's, that's business. You, you're dealing with these GST, Office of State Revenue Councils, mm. are all clipping those tickets and you need to understand um, how that impacts on your, your investment property. Yeah, and I think there's one interesting thing with commercial is you don't, you know, people, there's other tangible benefits why someone might be buying that commercial because they really want to have their business there or they've got a history there or they're going to live in the property and things like that. So, you know, mum and dad investors are just trying to buy it just for the, for the rent, but they're competing with someone who's got other interests that would be willing to pay more. And I think it's like when you're trying to buy a house in the middle rings of a capital city, let's say, um, you could be rocking up and go, I really want to live in this suburb, but, you know, the person standing next to you could be a build-up. Right, and they're saying, "Well, I'm going to put four townhouses on it," and so you're competing with this different market, and so you're Usages. paying, it. yeah, mm. and so you're paying an inflated price because of the developers there. If they weren't there, then you'd be competing with the home buyers. And I think with commercial, people don't really understand that 
you know, people that are in that market, they've got bigger plans than you and they're affecting the price. And to your maybe paying what's market price, but you're paying it what other people, mm. you know what I mean? So I think there's, you know, people don't really understand the complexities around who you're competing with and what's, what's something worth. Um, that's correct. And what they should do from your listener's point of view, if they want to build um, a portfolio, go and buy a commercial um, office, start a commercial office, mm. buy a factory unit. Um, you're going to get a steady income. You're going to be able to, that's what you do buy on yield. Mm. When you're working, income's not a great thing because, you know, if you add income to your portfolio, it's fully taxable. And then the bank's going to cut that income anyway and haircut it. And then they, if, you know, if your yield's too strong, they'll cut it again. So, you know, income with building a portfolio doesn't really help you from a servicing point of view. No. And then, and from a, and then when they say it's commercial, they'll be like, oh, we're not sure about this. And then they'll have to go to a different arm and they'll want to sensitize it. Um, I find it very hard when you are trying to build a portfolio and you throw this commercial in, it sometimes gives you lots of income, which you don't really want. Um, but then you lose out the big benefit of investing, which is growth. So, yeah. Most, I, most investors are very savvy um, when it comes to those sorts of things. We, have a, we had a, a cattle farmer from Armadale. I mean, I'm pretty serious cattle farmer. He's got about 5,000 5, head of cattle. So big. He came down about... Um, six years ago, and he said, I've just sold part of one of my other properties. I've got about $8 million to invest. And I said, so, I said, so you got $8 million in cash? No. He said, I've got four, and I'll, um, I've got approval to buy four. He said, so I really only got a service of $4 million loan. I want to buy a property that's got upside. And we so happen to have one in Favos Street, um, Surrey Hills a little freestanding building where it was underperforming and needed some money invested, investing um, in it. I said, you can buy this for six. It needs a million spending on it. We're going to be able to, best you do that, drive it up. He said, um, so, you know, get your approval and then get it revalued. So that asset that he paid, um, that he paid that four for and invested a million and a half, this was, so this was five years ago, we just put another floor in it. It's now worth 11. 11, and he said, I've got good income now. I've now got more equity. I need to buy something now because, again, because of tax. And that is very much the, um, how we call it the, the Jewish investment strategy. That is, <laughs> right. that is, as you build equity, you take the equity and buy and buy and buy. So you're not living out of the income. The equity's paying. Um, which, interest. Is, which is what a lot of residential investors have done to great effect and a lot have done terribly. A lot have done it with new property, which is, yeah, but it's interesting. So in a commercial sense, I mean, the, the, obviously the, the, the numbers are bigger because I, I would imagine there's a threshold. To do something yeah. like that, there would have to be a threshold at, at which, you know, the players under X amount of dollars just don't bother. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, and really that... Entry level in metropolitan cities probably two million. Mm. Yeah. Um, otherwise, if, if we get an investor come along, even at Hurstville says, "Look, I've got a million to invest. What can I buy?" We say, "Going to mm. buy strata." Yeah. Or yeah. otherwise, you buy a shop in one of those one of the villages. You know, one of the mm. small mm. village areas. Um, so, but you where you there's you make money out of land. And I always think it's a bit like a buying residential. 
if you've got a few million dollars to invest um, and you've, that's not just not borrowed money, but you've got a, a bit of cash, buy something on a good parcel of land. Mm. And land is in, metro, in metropolitan Sydney is only going to go one way. In the inner rings. In the inner yeah. rings. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing. Metropolitan mm. Sydney could be all the way to Penrith, though. Penrith, nothing. I came from Penrith. Yeah. Okay, I'm an I'm a I'm an old Panthers player, believe it or not. Right. Okay. Years go. gone by, not first grade. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. went through school with Tim Sheens. The, the, <laughs> and so we all played in the Panthers when we were called the yeah. Chocolate Soldiers. I'm sure your listeners would. Chocolate Soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never won a game much, but uh, those years gone by. So, but Penrith's a great place because it has got a very vibrant um, business community. And uh, it's a very passionate type of area. The Leagues Club out there is the centre of the whole um, mm. a social area, but it, people like living out there for the Blue Mountains, a lot of activity. So, place, Would you buy a house in Penrith, though? Um, I would. It's interesting you say that. I would if it's on, if it's on a 600-square-metre block of land near High Street. Right, yeah. So if but somebody, how many of those is there? Any of them. Mm. Yeah, but, I mean, what you're talking about is a subsection of the market and a subsection has got the big block probably would avoid the main roads. And so once you cut it down, there's a, a few there, but I mean, if you go outside of that, then you're back into where there's supply issues. Or but you, but, but you asked, you said, if I had $600,000 to invest, mm. would I buy a house in Penrith? Yes, you would. And what you do is again, you look at the zoning. And most of the zonings are what they call, they're all R zonings now, R1, okay, which is residential one, freestanding house. But R2 and R3, you're able to develop. So you can't develop in 650 square metres of Mm. land, but you might look and you might see an old shitter, Mm. okay, and you've got a couple of other houses beside it. If you could buy the middle one, better again, you (laughs) know what's going to happen next time round in five years' time. Yeah you know that the government are going to continue to rezone land that's close to your major, in, in close to your inner rings. So you can go to anywhere along the, the, the railway line, all the way out to Penrith, all the way. You can do it. You can go up to uh, Central Coast and do it. Go to Newcastle. Newcastle is anywhere around Hamilton or any of these areas where you've got good passes of, well, they're not so much Hamilton. So anywhere where you've got good passes of land where you've got potentially mm. uh, development opportunities, older style houses, you're going to make more money out of your land than really out of your house. And I think the important thing for listeners to understand with that, that that is speculating and you have to have an exit strategy and it's also about getting your research 100% right and understand exactly what you're doing and not just following the bandwagon with other people. Um, and, and it's thinking about what you're doing. And I think the thing is, the difference is that you have to decide what sort of investor you are. Are you a set and forget type investor? You know, in which case that is not the sort of thing you should be doing. Or are you an active investor? And in which case you are going to invest your time in the research and also getting uh, a good advisors around you who can talk you through that. And the ups and downs of it, you know, and, and understanding and also being prepared to sit on it and wait until it comes about, you know, if you are, bit, are confident enough. Um, but, yeah, and there are opportunities there, but this is, it's very different to saying buying a house in Sydney where you're, or in inner Sydney, for instance, where you're not banking on that zone and you're just buying in a, in a gentrified area where you know that there's continued demand. You know, it's a very different dynamics and, and decision-making. Yeah, I agree. I think the, the reality is now, though, is when 
investors sit in front of a, a broker and they go and say, how much money can I borrow? It's nowhere near what they could have borrowed. You might be 40, 50% down, depending on what happens with the Royal Commission, could be even further. And so what that means is your opportunity is now 40% less. You can buy 40% because you're borrowing. And so, you know, when you're actually out there shopping, you, you've got, that's your opportunity. How much can you borrow? And if you can borrow a lot less, you're going, well, I've really only got one shot here. I've got, I can only go invest, buy something at 1 million rather than 2 million. And you've really got very little room to make a bad mistake, a mistake here because you only get one shot at it. And so I think um, that's the, the challenge with now is with investing and speculating is, is if you are going to go and buy an investor investment on a, with, with speculation, you'll be extremely careful because that, that's your one shot for a lot of people. Yeah. And so do you really want to be an investor that's speculating or do you want to be an investor that goes, well, even if nothing does happen, uh, it's still walking distance to the station. It still suits a family. It's still in the inner ring. It's still a beautiful street with trees. And do you want to bet on the housing market rather than, you know, commercial, I guess? Look, with, with houses, you buy a house to put your family in it. And this is what, up again, when I was, when I was president, um, both New South Wales and Australia, I we, you know, used to talk back radio. You don't, if you're looking to buy a house to speculate, um, you've got it all wrong. Okay, buy a house that best suits your needs and you really normally don't turn your house over you know, between seven years or longer and you get very lucky when you own real estate for seven or eight or ten years. You get very, very lucky indeed. And first and foremost, you buy a house to live in and then improve it like we all did. I know from my side, again, when I was asked, so where do I buy in inner Sydney where I can make some um, dollars? Well, you go and buy a 1970s um, apartment, which is original, and get in, which doesn't look very good, make sure there's some money in the sinking fund, <laughs> and get in and renovate it up and live in it, a capital gains tax, yeah. live in it and step up. We've all done it. We've all done. Look, personally, we've just sold a property and we've just bought one of our houses, Okay. And where my wife, who does a lot of those sorts of things, we've just bought a 100-year-old apartment, which was original, mostly original. And so I'm doing that now because this is the time you do it. If you're going to invest, you invest when the sentiment's against investing. Yes. Okay. Mm. You buy in the off-market. Yeah. Yes, you need more money and all those sorts of things, but it knocks all the punters out. Knocks all the speculation out of it. So you buy, you value add, you be patient, and then you get the kicker. And this has really been the investment strategy um, around the world for a long time. That that to invest the short term mentality in Australia, the quick earn, Mm. your listeners have got to get that out of their head. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I agree. So your strategy there, though, why it works, I, I really like it. You're buying when the investors aren't buying. You're buying something that investors would have bought, you know, probably because yeah. it's unrenovated, right? Home buyers don't want it and they don't want to go through the stress. Then you're going to change well, it. Well, they will when the market's hot. Hot, yeah. And I think that's the only way they're going to get in the market. They'll do whatever, yeah. you know, but when, that, that's one of the properties. That probably not this it, one though because it sounds like it was needs a lot of work. Oh, uh, this, this is, it's, it's, a sub, it's a substantial Yeah, and okay. so, you know, it's, it's, they haven't, a lot of first-time buyers haven't got the ability to borrow and then do the reno and the time and the stress and kids and stuff like that. So are you going to then turn this apartment into something that home buyers would love? Is that what your market yes. is? Yes. Yeah. So then you're, you're then going to shift, 
movement from investors to home buyers who are still out there buying who mm. would love something. Is Correct. it a three bed or is it a two bed? No, it's two and a half with, right. a, with, with a view of the harbour. Okay. Parking? So you're yeah. Oh, yeah. So no, your, no, no parking. No parking. Right. Who's your target market then at the uh, end? Really, um, professional couplers and empty nesters. Mm. Yeah. The car parking, if you're looking at the better suburbs, the Kirribillis, the Paddingtons, the Darlinghursts, um, or some of these areas, um, the people are going to buy. There's a lot of professional couples out there who, who are earning plenty of money, um, not interested in cars. Yeah, because, it is definitely changing in those areas. And, and it's leading get share the way, cars, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, of course yeah. they get share cars. Or otherwise, they just pick up and get ferried around by Uber. Yeah. So, well, but, they like drinking as well. What's, yeah, they do. If you look at Paddington, mm. you go and stand at the five ways in Paddington, see who falls off the bus at six o'clock on Friday afternoon. It goes straight into the metro, buy the paper bag for the for uh, their dinner that night, mm. and have a schooner in a pub and away in the Royal Hotel on the way home. And this is quintessential old Aussie, and it's mm. quintessential inner city. Yeah. yeah. So, but so from you, from your um, listeners' point of view, this is the time to buy. This is really so. Even from a home buyer's point of view, if you're going, don't be frightened to transact in these sort of markets. You get in. You can. You tend to be able to buy reasonably. You're going to get in a bit when you sell. Yeah. You're going to equally buy as well, and you buy something that you can value add to. Yeah. Okay. You value add. I, I, my advice to your listeners is with any, in any investment, if you're going to spend a dollar, you want two back. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm going to go in, I'm going to buy a factory and needs a bit of work or a shop. I'm, I, I'm going to have to spend a few dollars. I want to be able to get that $2 back. And be, but that's not $2 this year. That's $2 and a little bit of um, time. And that's how you've got to assess you. You've got to assess your, your prop, your investments on future growth. That's position, opportunity, all those sorts of things. And it's not that hard because most of it's common sense. Yeah. But the elephant, which is the subconscious mind, and this is the one of the metaphors that we use in this, uh, or it's the metaphor for the subconscious mind, and obviously underpins this whole podcast, is that our emotions do tend to drive a lot of our decisions, even, even investors, even investors who are sophisticated, if they're not aware, they can still be impacted and affected by the, the subconscious mind. Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing a whole lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Please, Malcolm, can you give us an example of a property dumbo? We can all learn what not to do from these stories. I was thinking about that when you asked that question. Um, the Dumbo, uh, the Dumbo is a bit about GST, particularly when you're, um, you know, when you're dealing with the investors who are not used to paying GST and that sort of thing. Oh, they said, oh well, we're just going to buy this property as a vacant possession property. I don't have to pay GST. Well, you can just do a lease for us. I said, oh really? <laughs> so you want to have a crack at defrauding the tax department, do you? Mm. It doesn't matter. No one will know. Well, I do. So the Dumbo is, I'm going to think I can, I can get away and shimmy under paying some taxes. The, the, the Dumbo is going to get nailed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Unsophisticated inven- investor in that case. <laughs> I agree uh, though. Like mm. you, you don't want to be playing second fiddle with the tax office, oh, God, especially no. in, in a world where they know everything. So, you know, they're going to, 
like you say, the systems talk to each other, you know, and we're going to an open banking kind of system and, you know, everything's going to be tracked every single dollar. And so, you know, if you're not, you can't just easily just undercut your rent or rent it to your brother and all this sort of thing. You got to do everything above board um, and make sure you do that now rather than, you know, plead ignorance when it happens. Um, and so I think that's, that's definitely a good dumbo because I think a lot of people do try to just, just get away with it. And it, it's not worth the risk, you mm -hmm. know, because, you know, you're investing for some, and that's affecting your decision. So I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Malcolm, thank you so much for coming along and chatting. I mean, it's been a very interesting conversation. I mean, we have, as I said earlier, we haven't actually dug into the commercial side and I still think we've only just scratched the surface. So we might have to get you back another time oh, and talk in more detail. That's fine, Veronica. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not... It, 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 commercial property is, again, all about common sense, mm. but common sense is not very common no. sometimes. Mm. I was up in Brisbane, at a place called West End in Brisbane, which is Newtown, Erskineville here. Yep. And you look at the value up there in West End, it's, it's, it's about 40% less than Sydney. It is a, near South Bank, terrific places to go and buy a terrace and do it up. Mm. Just don't terrific buy an apartment places. up there, people. No, 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 don't buy an apartment. <laughs> I didn't say that, Veronica. <laughs> just, just in case anyone no, no, thought that's all you saying. You look up there because mm. why? Why would you go and invest in a place like that? Because one, it's a good lifestyle. Secondly, it's very affordable. And yeah. most families want to get out of Sydney if they can. And they can buy much more up there than they can here. And you, you can see as soon as there's job creation up there, we're going to see an exodus. Are we, I mean, they're already seeing it up there. There's quite a lot of Sydney siders that are actually relocating their mm. kids, their families up there because of that affordability piece and that they can get a good job. Mm. So it's happening. But the, yeah, the challenge with that is at some point it doesn't, if it does boom, then it's no longer affordable. So And that migration know, will stop. And the migration <laughs> stops. And so, I mean, I, I agree. You could buy the inner 5K ring of Brisbane, but then once that booms, you know, those people don't go because that's what they want. They want to live in that inner 5K ring. and doesn't the kind of cycle just doesn't continue. You so. can't put certain look with with property investment um or property speculation, there's no somewhat's not certain. And so the the risk is re always relative to the reward. Always. Not, not always. It should be. Should be. It should be. So, but I, yeah. but I don't, let me go. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> the calculated risk. Mm. Okay. Mm. And this is where, from your listener's point of view, everything's online. Instead of sitting there and uh, trolling over, get in and educate yourself. Um, if you don't, go and buy the financial review online. The financial review is a black and white paper that tells you everything that's going on. You, if you want to go and find out what they're talking about with the, the sophisticated investment at the moment, there's an article in the financial review today where they're talking about J, talking to JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, talking about what investment real estate, now this is the bigger investment real estate, mm. looks like in Australia. And they're all, all upbeat because the fundamentals in Australia in business are all strong. Yeah. And they still see growth in rents and they still see growth in value in, um, in Australia, in particular the major capital cities. So all that, you've, all that information is available if you're prepared to be Look patient and understand. I yeah. guess you've just got to be careful, you know, that Everyone's got conflicted interests, right? So, you know, if, you're, if that was realestate.com.au or if that was domain or if that was news.com.au, you know, you've just got to be really careful who's, who's the, paying the, the who financial who's... review. The financial review, I find, um, is uh, because you've got the writers. Of Nick. You, I agree with that to a extent, but it really is um, 
pretty black and white, okay? Mm. You, you can read and factor that in. You don't believe everything you read, but there's enough information to be able to pull out and make your own judgment. Your listeners are intelligent people. Yeah. Okay? And it's just Why a matter of listening. <laughs> and just, it's just a matter of trusting their judgment, sitting down and be, be really methodical yeah. and research. So, Malcolm, that's great. We'll put the link in the show notes for how people can get hold of you because, obviously, if they want to be talking commercial real estate in Sydney, they might uh, might want to look you up. And um, once again, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. I love the chat. Thank you very much. Brilliant. We want to make you a better elephant rider, and this week's elephant rider training is... Well, Malcolm talked about his latest renovation or slash investment project, and... He has pretty much given us our elephant rider training this week when he talks us through exactly the thinking behind his choice in apartment to renovate. And so your um just while we're there, your apartment that you bought, are you went out what's your time frame to do this? Like obviously you don't have to tell us the area, but <laughs> what's your numbers? Because I, I really think that's quite interesting because I loved how your strategy was to go from an investor into an empty nest or a high professional couple. Can you give us an idea of some of your numbers that you did before you bought it? I think the most important thing is location, as always. Okay, so if you're going to buy a 100-year-old apartment, it comes with certain problems. So mm. you've then got to realise um, who owns in the block. Um, and who's in the block? Nine. Okay. Company and, title or strata? Uh, no, strata. Mm. Who owns... And you look at the combination of who's the recent purchasers and who are the older purchasers. Mm, so yeah. when you've got old people in the block, if there's a majority, they want to spend the money in the strata to improve it. And then you go through and look at the infrastructure. So you say, well, all right, this is, you can see there's, um, there's a couple of people in there who are elderly who you would say in five or six years may not be in the apartment because walking upstairs or something like that. So that you look at that and say, well, okay, I can, I, I can see then there's going to be, every time there's a new person move in, they're going to invest in their property. Yep. And How did you find all that data on who was in the building? Um, search, ask, walk around, ask the questions. You walk around, you say to the agent, who owns this and what's going, go on to uh, CoreLogic and have a look and see what's been sold. It's all available. So... You look at that. And secondly, then you look at what you can do with the property to make sure um, you're not going to get pain because you have to go through and lodge a plan with Estrada, yeah, ask exactly, those yeah. questions and understand what you can you can't do. And again, you go and see what some of the newer purchasers have done with those apartments, how they've upgraded them and those sorts of things. So why do, where do the empty nesters and the professionals want to be? The area I'm buying in is inner Sydney, in one of the, more, the better suburbs. Is it because the empty nesters of today, the baby booms of today, want the same thing as the... Um, high professional couple. As, as the, the high, uh, yeah, that's correct. Mm. And secondly is the, 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 the uh, professional millennials. Yep. They want lifestyle. They want walking. They want all the entertainment. They want all those sorts of things. So what you've got is a wealthy buyer pool. So there's some great insights from Malcolm there in terms of the research required when you're looking into an apartment to renovate for investment. And in particular, he was absolutely targeting a wealthy and growing buyer pool. And I think that's really important, but there were some fabulous insights there. 
Tune in to our next episode when we interview property manager Lisa Inge. Now, we covered so much information. This is our first time we've interviewed a property manager on The Elephant in the Room. And I thought we were just going to focus on vacancy rates, but instead we covered seasonality, oversupply, reference checking tenants, what constitutes a good tenant, how to choose a property manager. We also talked about landlord insurance and rent rises. So I don't think there's much we left uncovered. If you are an investor or you are thinking about becoming an investor, you definitely want to listen to this episode. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The Elephant in the Room property podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Resk, editorial by Gordy Fletcher. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.